uh, we are continuing our study in First Peter, and again, the context here, we, uh, in uh, verse 8, it's interesting, Peter says, to, to sum up, and it hearkens us all the way back to what we've seen in chapter 2, really, uh, verse 4, but specifically verses 9 through 12, in that we are a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood, we are a people for God's own possession. That once we were not a people and now we are a people, once we had not received mercy and now we have received mercy. Again, you see there's an identification change here. There's an identity change. And again, he says, as aliens and strangers, verse 11, abstain from the fleshly lusts that rage war against your soul and keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That really is the emphasis behind what we're seeing. That as the world observes our behavior, as they observe our character, as they observe how we love one another, as they observe how we as believers look after one another as they observe how we seek to glorify our Lord, as they observe how we forgive one another, as they observe how we talk about one another. They ought to be drawn to the Lord through that. They ought to want what we have. There there ought to be something about us as believers that is so attractive, so different, that they want what we have through Christ. That, that's the whole point of everything Peter is writing about here. The, these believers have been alienated. They've been outcast. They're, they're in a foreign land. They're everything about their lives. And, and he calls them to live differently. And, and you'll see on the, the main point today that, that I think I want us to understand about the, the body and about about believers and about the body of Christ is that the Christian community is to be an alternate society. What what we have here amongst ourselves, what we experienced amongst the body, there it ought to be an alternate society of sorts where the same kinds of insults and hostility and all that junk that we deal with out in the world in it ought to be different amongst the body of Christ. This ought to be a refuge. It ought to be a safe haven. The stuff that we experience out in the world and all the stuff that's of this world, it ought to be contrasted by what we experience amongst the body of Christ. Literally an alternate society. Think about it. A a literal, I I think about it as um, when, when... when, when Jim Hampton came back from his tour over, overseas and he talked about how they had this literally walled-in community in the midst of everywhere around them they knew was enemy. And yet inside these walls was this community of brothers and sisters. Separate, distinct from everything around them. A safe haven. And again, Peter says to sum it up, he, he is building upon this and building upon this, whether it be how we relate to our employers, how we relate to our employees, how we relate to government, 
how we relate to our husbands, how we relate to our wives, everything, everything is about declaring the excellencies of our king. Everything is about glorifying our king. Everything is about hearkening people's attention back to the gospel through which we've been saved, and again, glorifying our king. It's, it's about representing his character. It's it literally about us being what we have here ought to be a, a parable of sorts. It ought to be a, a microcosm where we're seeking to enjoy as best as we can here what we're going to enjoy for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. This ought to be a training ground for that. It ought to be a microcosm, almost a parable of what, of what God's kingdom is ultimately perfectly going to look like one day. And, and that's what Peter is getting at. This is about community. Think about these believers. Put yourself, everything about their lives, everything about their lives was alienated. All they had, all they had were the people of Christ. All they had were fellow believers. Community. Literally a community amongst a wider community. What we have right here is a community amongst a wider community. We, we too are, are living in a foreign land. We too are aliens and strangers. Our citizenship is of another nation. It's, it's in another land. And everything that Peter writes about here is how do we, how do we sustain community, but also how do, we make, how do we make our king so attractive that the world would be drawn to him? And, and Peter says it in verse, verse 8, sum it up, to sum up what, what he's talking about, and you see it there in point 1 in verse 8, is Christians are commanded to pursue those virtues that sustain community and reflect the character of our God and the grace that He's shown us. This is about sustaining a healthy community, a healthy people, a healthy family. The, all of these things that, that He's going to command here, they're characteristics that we find in our God. They're characteristics that we've been blessed with by our God, that we've been shown by our God. And, and these are, these are all-encompassing qualities that, that are good for the home, they're good for marriage, they're good for family, they're good for workplace, but they're certainly good for this community. And, and how we treat one another. Understand, that's the emphasis of what Peter is saying here. How we treat one another. This, this ought to be, how we treat one another ought to be foreign to the world around us. Again, Galatians 6, he says, do good to everyone. But then he says, especially, especially the family of God. We, we ought to treat everybody in a unique way. But listen, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, Paul says in Galatians 6, especially, our behavior ought to be especially generous to fellow brethren. And, and sistren, I guess you'd call them, sisters. And again, what we have here, what we have here in the body ought to be a place where we, where we can be safe from the stuff that we experience in the world. 
It ought to be safe from, from he's going to get to it. And, and it's interesting that he deals with the tongue. And, and, and we'll deal with that in a minute. We ought to be, we, it's, this ought to be a refuge from that junk. J- just like, just like, you know, just like your home. I, I'm, I'm grateful for a wife. No matter what anyone thinks about me, no matter what kind of day I have, I, I am graced by the fact that I can go home and I know that in my kids and in Karen, I have a fan. I have someone who will support me no matter what. I, I, I work hard during the day, I believe, but I can't wait. Listen, I'm not ashamed of that. I can't wait to get home at night to hang out with my family. Why? Because it's a refuge. It's a safe haven. I know that no matter what has happened during the day, there's at least three people in this world that love me, that think I'm something good. We asked our family the other night, um, hey, what are some things you like about our family? We were at the dinner table, and they shared, and we said, well, what are some things you, you don't like about our family? And there's some things that we maybe struggle with or we need to do better at. Sarah Grace says, I don't like the fact that you're always on the phone. And I went, well, okay. I said, she says, I also don't like the fact that you have to go to work every day. Like, well, uh, not a whole lot I can do about that one. You always, then she says, you, you got all these meetings. Well, I'm leaving in 10 minutes for one, too, Sarah, so that one. You know, but, but again, our, ki- our kids sense it. When, when I'm home, I want to be home. When, when I'm with them, I'm trying to do a better job of that. When I'm with them, I'm trying to, be, I'm trying to do a better go- job being engaged with them. And, and, and our, this, just like our individual homes, what we have here amongst fellow believers ought to be a refuge. It ought to be a safe haven. Our student ministry ought to be a safe haven. Our adult classes ought to be a safe haven. All, every age group, all together, we are a family. This ought to be a place that is totally unique. We can't wait to get here to be along, around our brothers and sisters because of how we're treated here. And Peter writes five qualities, sum it up. Five qualities that ought to mark out our fellowship. And, and I would ask us, do these qualities not only mark out your life, but do they mark out our corporate life as a body? Because if they don't, they should. We need to repent. This is about community. This is about reflecting the excellencies of our God. This is about us giving what we have first received from God through Christ. And he says to sum up, all of you, all of you, he's talking to believers, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. You know, A there, five qualities that will mark our, our fellowship, harmonious, harmonious. The word there literally means like-mindedness. It's rooted in our faith. It's rooted in the gospel. Listen, all of us share, if we're believers, we share that in common, our faith. It's the gospel. Go back to the gospel. It's what, it's what, brings, it's what establishes us as a family amongst all of our differences. Here's what you and I share in common. Grace as believers. Repentance. We share that in common. We, we've, as believers, we've been adopted. Nobody in here earned their way into the people of God. Nobody performed their way into the people of God. You were adopted. 
It's by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works, lest no one could, could boast. Go back. What he's saying is go back to the gospel. Go back to how you entered into the people of God. One way, a very narrow door. All of us entered by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We share that in common. Go back to that. Listen, we, we had a new members class yesterday and 10 or 11 families were in there and, and, and we talked about this. There are some things where we absolutely will, will, will believe the same and there are some things where we have liberty. There's going to be differences. The, the Bible calls us to, uniform, to unity, not uniformity. And, and here's where we can be unified, the gospel. Jesus Christ. Be harmonious. See each other as family. It's foundational to our unity. Again, lots of ways that you and I are going to be different, but here's where we're going to be the same, the gospel. The gospel. It's a shared, it's a shared commonality of grace. And, and Paul deals with this in, in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. He says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. You see how arrogant and prideful it'd be not to accept somebody when you yourself were accepted on the same basis that they were accepted? Like you, we all got in here by grace. And now all of a sudden we're going to start judging each other and treating each other differently? No, we're all recipients of grace. We were all orphans, by the, and by the grace of God, those of us who are believers have been adopted into God's family by grace. There's tr and, and again, he'll get the humility in a minute, but harmonious. He says sympathetic. It Literally, the word there, it means to suffer with another by entering into their sufferings. In Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, when, when, a, when, a, when, a, uh, when a, a meal list goes out, listen, we ought to be eager to sign up. We ought to have to cut those things off why? Because we, we as a people ought to be sympathetic. When somebody else in this body is going through something, we all ought to go through it. And none of this, well, I'm sorry for you, but not, no, no, no. I'm sorry for me too, because that person that's suffering is part of the body. They're me. And I'm you. We're one body. It literally is sharing the feelings of others. It's the opposite of having compassion from a distance. That's what it means to be sympathetic. It literally implies to bear someone else's burden. Is that how we see each other's burdens? It's more than just saying, I'll pray for you. James deals with that. He who sees his brother in need and has the means to help him and does nothing about it. First John talks about that. Ramon, how you doing, buddy? You can come sit up here. Sit up here by Raymond. Come up here, Ramon. Sit up here by Raymond. Yes, sir. It means, yeah, right there. It means brother, he's, he goes on to say brotherly. Again, do you see the family orientation of these words? Brotherly. It, it, it's a family orientation toward each other. It's the, it's the, it's the feeling that a, a two brothers or, or sisters would feel towards one another, and, and Peter has already touched on this. 
He says, since you have an obedience, verse 22 of chapter 1, to you, an obedience to the truth, purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Because we're brethren, he says, fervently love one another from the heart. We, we, ought, to, we ought to love one another. And listen, the root, and this is really foundational, the root of all this other junk that we deal with, listen to me, the root of it is a lack of love. It's a lack of love. We can drill down beyond all the superficial stuff and all this other stuff that we deal with on the surface. At the bottom, the issue is this. It's love. If I really love somebody the way that I'm called to love them, listen, it's no, I lay, every, look, for my kids, for my wife, why? We love them. It's a lack of love. Again, it's interesting in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. This is the, world, the way the world will understand and see and know that you are my disciple. How? How you love one another. Distinguishing mark. Key trait, key characteristic trait of the body of Christ, love one another. He goes on to say kind-hearted. It, it, the word there means affectionate. It means compassionate. It means to feel something deeply for somebody. A deep feeling, not just a, a surface thing. This is a deep-rooted feelings of compassion. Humble, he says. It's interesting in Philippians 2, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Having this attitude, which was also in Christ, that although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, emptied himself, taking on the form of a, a bondservant, even to the point of dying, and that a death on a cross. He says, do not merely look out for your own interests, but for that of one another. And again, where is that reflected? It's reflected on the attitude of Christ. Humility. Not merely looking out for your own interests. It's living a life. It's stewarding a life that's prepared to look out for one another. See, seeing one another as family. As fellow brothers and sisters. And again... Those, these things, literally, this would have created an alternate society in the middle of their society. It would have been weird. And I promise you, that would be weird today. You know, to love somebody fervently, listen to me, I promise you that's weird. Not superficially, not casually, not when it's convenient, but to love people at all times, even when it's, especially when it's inconvenient. I promise you that will set us apart. And Peter, again, he lived in a highly competitive, a highly stratified world, meaning the classes were very distinguished. And what Peter is calling believers here to would have been weird there, and it's weird today. We live in a highly competitive, highly stratified world. To set that aside and to humble yourself, they let, Peter lived in a day where, where humility was a sign of weakness, it was a sign of shame. We live in that world today. Even today, again, we live in a me-first world. 
And Peter, through the Holy Spirit, is, is calling believers that this ought to be an alternate society. What we, what we experience here ought to be weird. And you see it on your hand now. To live as Peter described here, think about how attractive the body of Christ would be to the world around us. You think about how attractive it would have been early on in Acts when it says that no, everybody believer, nothing was their own, and everything they had they shared in common with one another. You think about how attractive that would be. You know, I remember back when we had the hurricane and people in this body were opening up their homes to other people in the body. That's the way it ought to be. Weird on purpose. And again, these were meant to be distinctively Christian qualities rooted in the gospel that would have set this society apart from the culture. And again, all of these qualities, they revolve around the benefit of the community. They revolve around the, the, the excellencies of our God, not around the individual. These are centered around making much of our God. And so God, ultimately, through these, would be glorified. All these believers had, listen, all they had were each other. They needed each other, and God is providing wisdom and he's providing a safe haven and a refuge for his people amongst his people in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation and at the same time again he's again we go back to this at the same time he's he's subverting culture but he's doing it in a way that doesn't create chaos and he's doing it in a way that is immensely attractive to the world around towards their god And the body of Christ, you'll see it there on your handout, ought to be a place where individuals submit their own goals and agendas and needs to the purposes of the larger community. It ought to be us, it ought to be us first, not me first. Us first, all in an effort to glorify God. So ultimately, he's first. And again, Paul, Paul you see, just so you see the continuity here, this is all throughout the New Testament. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, listen, starting in verse 9, look what Paul writes. Let love be without hypocrisy. The word there literally means sincere. Abhor what is evil. Peter's going to get to that. Cling to what is good. Listen, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That's exactly what Peter is saying. Not lagging behind in diligence. Don't be lazy about it. Don't be a sluggard about it. Don't, no, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Ultimately, who are we serving? The Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those, verse 14, we've, we're going to see this today. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Verse 18. This was a commonly held ethic for, that all believers were to reflect, and it was rooted in the character of their God before a watching world. Literally an alternate society. 
a safe haven. And the question is, is that, do you sense that here? Do people feel that when they come here? Do, do these things characterize us do, as a body? But do they characterize you as an individual? Because this body is made up of individuals. I, I'm reading a book that called The Bait of Satan. And it's about, um, it's about uh, offense and, and unity and how we allow hurts and hang-ups and from people in the body of Christ to turn into offenses and we hold on to them. And he tells a story of how um, many, 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 many years ago uh, when towns were separated, when people would move from one town to another, they would enter into that town and they would talk to the, they would, first thing they do is go to the mayor and they would ask the, the mayor, hey, the mayor, can you tell me about your city? And this, this mayor would say, well, now tell me about the city you left. And he tells about this family that, say, you know, the first family says, oh, they were nasty. Those people were nasty. They were hateful. They were mean. They were rude. They were ornery. Oh, and the mayor says, you know what? I think you'll find this town to be exactly the same. They moved on. Next day, another family comes into the town wanting to move there. And they say, we need to speak to the mayor. And the mayor talks to them. And they say, hey, mayor, tell us about your town. And he says, well, tell me about the town you're coming from. Same mayor, the family, new family says, oh, they were loving. They were kind, they were compassionate. We hated to leave, but, you know, it's just the way it is. You know, we, they were great. We loved them, we hated them. He says, I think you'll find this community to be exactly like the one you left. What's the point? It is what you make it. It's what you make it. Every single one of us in here Help control the needle and the dial for the, for the atmosphere here at Odessa. Every single one of us. It's not up to the elders. It's not up to the deacons. We're a body. And in many ways, we are who we think we are. And we are who you are. And who I am. And when visitors come here, when other believers come here, do they experience these characteristics? And, and that's my responsibility and that's your responsibility. The atmosphere of this place, the atmosphere of this body, you know who controls that dial? You and I, believer. You and I. And if we're going to sustain community, if we're going to be a weird community, these are the characteristics that God is saying, these better mark your community. If we're going to be an alternate society, these characteristics ought to mark us because they're all characteristics that we first received in the gospel from God himself. Again, this is about community, sustained community. But secondly, Christians are commanded to return in doing this we are returning a blessing. Even if those around us are evil, we return a blessing in response to the evil of others through faith. Why? Because God gave us a blessing in response to our evil first. We were enemies. Romans 5, 8 but says, while we were yet enemies, Christ demonstrated his love for us. He returned a blessing 
for insult. We saw in chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, Peter holds that up as the model that while he was being insulted, he did not revile in return. You see that in his crucifixion. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And again, Peter's readers are, are living in a culture, again, verse 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Peter's readers lived in a culture that was hostile, very hostile. And he's saying, how do you respond to the hostility? How, how are you to be different? How are you to align yourself with the word and not with the chaos and the conflict? And again, in the midst of their insults, in the midst of them being defamed, they, again, they dealt with tremendous verbal abuse. They were, culture treated them maliciously. How would they respond? Would they respond in kind? Or would they bless in response to a curse? And again, Christians not retaliating is weird. Peter, Peter is telling his readers, you see it on your handout, don't feel the need to defend yourself as the culture did. Don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about what they say. You, you be obedient. You worry about glorifying Christ. Again, he's saying subvert culture by showing that Christ offers a better way. I don't need to, I don't need to worry about what the world thinks about me. I need to be obedient. I need to leave my reputation up to the Lord. I need, to leave, I need to leave vindication of Chris Basham. See 1 Corinthians 4. I need to leave the vindication of Chris Basham up to the Lord. Because what's my natural instinct? What's your natural instinct? To defend. And then we get into this word for word. and, and uh, No, no, no. Look, the Lord's got... He, he knows who I am. You look at 1 Corinthians 4. It says that he's going to judge not only my actions. He's going to judge my motives. Hello. Hello. I don't even know my own motives sometimes. Jeremiah 10, 17, 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, I entrust, I, we've got to be a people that entrust that to the Lord. And, and Jesus himself modeled and taught how to act rightly before your enemies. He taught what it meant for Christians to love their enemies. L listen to Luke 6, 27. But I say to you, Jesus says this, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him also. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others in the same way that you want to be treated. Luke 10, verse 35. On the next day he took out... Oh, 25, the Good Samaritan, sorry. In, 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 we won't read all those. But if you look at Luke 10, 25 through 37, the, ar the argument that the, the person asking Jesus is trying to have a narrow, very narrow view of what it means to be a neighbor. In that day, there was a very narrow view. And he's arguing, who is my neighbor? And if you read the, good, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, here's what Jesus says. Anyone, anyone, anyone that you have the power and the ability to serve, they're your neighbor. I don't care what color they are. I don't care where they come from. I don't care what their, what their ethnicity is. I don't care how they've treated you in the past. I don't care about any about that. If you have the capacity to serve them, they're your neighbor. 
Proverbs says, to the one who knows a need and has the ability to meet the need, meet the need. Very, very wide definition of neighbor. Not, well, they hurt me in the past, so I've got an out. Well, you know what, I don't think they could really help me when I get in this. No, no. Can you meet the need? Then meet the need. Do you hate that person? All the more reason to meet the need. Because guess what? In meeting their need, the, per- the person you hate, guess what God's going to do to your heart? He's going to soften your heart. And sometimes my obedience is more about what God's doing in my own heart than it is about the person that I'm serving. It's about what God's doing in this wretched heart. And, and Jesus modeled that. We, we just saw that in chapter 2. And the human nature, listen, I hate to suffer for other people's stupidity. Listen, I do, I hate it. Like, I, I mean, I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, so forgive me, but if I'm going to suffer, at least let me sin. I don't, I, I don't want to sin and make lightly of it, but I hate to suffer for other people's sins. But guess what? I, it's the reality of living in a fallen world. And, and we want to defend ourselves. And, and, and again, coupled with a society that almost demanded retaliation, we live in that world that almost demands retaliation. Christians who refused and who instead would offer a blessing would have immensely obtained the attention of the world around them. You, you allow your, you be wronged and you don't retaliate, that's a huge testimony. And again, Go back to 5.12 or forward to 5.12. How do you do that? By standing on grace. It's the grace of God. Stand firm on grace of God. We can faithfully endure suffering because we have an unshakable foundation of God's grace. We have the, un- we have the certainty that one day He's going to balance the accounts. One day He's going to come back and He's going to judge every single person and Peter reminds us you see it there again that we will be rewarded for suffering justly you have been called giving a blessing instead for you were called for the very purpose why that you in returning a blessing for evil you know what he says you're going to get the blessing you want a blessing return blessing for curse and we'll see, that, we'll see that next week in verses 13 through 17. It's going to boil about the vindication of the Lord, but ultimately where it's going to boil down to is who do you fear more, man or God? And, and we mentioned it a, a moment ago, but Galatians 6, 6 through 9, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh... He will reap from the flesh his corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, and this is what I quoted earlier, verse 10, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Again, weird. You go back to Romans 12, he says... Don't you don't need to you don't look you as far as it depends on you verse 18 be at peace with all men You allow God to deal with that person That's faith and that's weird 
to, to, to be loving when you're suffering? To be unselfish when you're in pain? That's weird, but, but God graces that ability. And the community, you'll see it there, the church is a community, to be a community of believers where divisions and hostilities of the world are overcome by God's grace. Listen, how do we forgive? Because you were forgiven first, I was forgiven first. Go to Luke 18, I was the debtor. I had the debt that could not be repaid, and yet God paid it through Christ. You know, he says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And this is simply, again, it goes way beyond just not reacting. It goes way beyond ignoring. It's not only that we're not to retaliate, but we are to look for ways to bless the person who persecuted us. It goes way beyond just ignoring. It, it, it's not this, well, they sit on this side, so I'm just going to sit on this side. Or I'll just find a new Bible fellowship class. Or grow groups, whatever we call them here. I just won't go to that F3. When if we get scheduled for the F3, I'll just skip that. I'll just skip that session. That's not an accurate picture of the grace of God. That's called disobedience, sin. What we're called to here is to literally bless the person who persecutes us. But in doing so, in faith, you know what you do? You store up your, for yourself a blessing. And that's weird. The word bless, listen, and, and this was, again, you guys got to sit under this thing for 45 minutes or so. I got, I mean, I'm sitting here this week studying this thing, and the word bless literally means to publicly speak well of. I had to stop there. For, I, I, I honestly had to stop there. I'm like, oh. It goes way beyond just ignoring. It goes way beyond just, I'll, ignore, I won't, I will, I'll just stay away from them. The word there literally means to publicly speak well of. Interestingly enough, in a moment, he's going to get into words. And, and if we're honest, that's the main place we get, we get divided over, words. The easiest sin for you and I to commit, words. No matter, no matter what, I at all times of every day of every moment, Barbara and I, my mother-in-law, we were talking about this the other day. We went to visit somebody, and we were talking about Ephesians 4.29. But let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that is good for the moment, that for edification according to the need of the moment. The easiest sin to commit is words. I've always got a tongue. As long as I've got a tongue and I've got breath, I can sin. Just like that. And it's interesting, again, James, in James, he talks about James 3, with the same tongue we bless our Lord and we defile our brother. Think about that. Same tongue. Same tongue. We can choose to tear down our brothers or sisters, or we can choose to bless them. Our choice. And again, literally the word here means, the word bless, it means to invoke God's favor upon somebody. Can you think about that? Instead of, instead of maligning them, you know what the Bible is saying? Ask God to bless their socks off. Think about that. How weird is that? Instead of maligning them, ask God to bless their socks off. Talking about weird. 
And again, Peter commands, you see it on the handout, rather than gossip, rather than exaggerate, rather than slander, rather than malign, believers are to ask God to bless those who persecute us. To pray sincerely on their behalf. That's crazy weird. That's not just weird, that's crazy weird. But it's crazy attractive. And it's crazy unifying. Because guess whose heart's going to be changed as you're praying for the person who persecutes you? You are. Your heart. And again, the motive is community. The motive is unity. Why? Because we exist to bring glory to God at all costs. We're going to get our reward. We're going to get to spend eternity. Those of us who are believers will spend eternity with Christ in a society that will be perfect and all this nonsense will be gone. And what he's calling us to is, as much as it depends on us, seek that community here. Seek to be a microcosm. Seek to be a parable of what eternity is going to look like as best as we can here. Here. Sympathy and compassion and brotherly kindness. And you see it on, what he's saying is you see it on your hand that when we by faith refuse to return evil for evil or insult for insult and instead seek to bless those who persecute us, we obtain a blessing. We obtain a blessing. You want a blessing? We think in our minds the blessing is going to be defending ourselves or retaliation. The real blessing is asking God to bless the other person. And Jesus himself, in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Listen, rejoice and be glad. Hello. The prophets who were before you. You see the emphasis on reward? And you see how it's attached to your response to curses? And the word here, the word here for obtain, it literally means inherit. Listen, when do you get an inheritance? Somebody's got to die. You know when you and I get our inheritance? When we die. When we die. When we leave this world and we go to our homeland, listen, we get our inheritance. Until then, live by faith. Until then, seek to bring that, the communal characteristics of that new heaven and new earth, seek to bring them here through faith. And again, Peter is teaching us, and you see it on your handout. As believers seek to bless, even when they suffer, they can know that they're walking towards their inheritance. You're showing that your real home is not here. And that makes us sensitive to the things of God. It makes us eager for the things of God. It makes us eager for our home going. We willingly suffer now, again, not to earn our Christianity, but because we're Christians. It's faith. Our, our king suffered. Again, Matthew 20, 28. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Go and do likewise, knowing that your inheritance waits. And in contrast to that blessing, Peter in 10 through 12 he, he says, if you choose to not follow this, and this is the third point, understand the Lord is opposed to everyone who does evil. And interestingly enough, he says in verse 7, so that your prayers will not be hindered, go down to verse 12. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
Our lives matter. And Peter is quoting from Psalm 33 and Psalm 34 here. Listen, grace did not change God and what he demands of his people. He still hates evil. He hates his children committing evil. And so as his children, by faith, we turn away from evil. And again, he's reiterating here, if you want to inherit a true blessing of salvation, if you want to understand the real blessing, respond to suffering in a way that reflects your new life in Christ. The promise of inheritance, especially believers, as we've said. And and it's interesting, he says, the one who desires life to love and see good days, what does he say? Must keep his tongue from evil. We've said that. Listen, all of our tongues have gotten... My middle school and high school years attest to the fact that my tongue got me into a lot of trouble. Now, that's probably not shocking for a lot of people who, believe, who know me. And the Bible has much to say about the tongue. Number one, Matthew 15 says, What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. What comes out of a man's mouth makes him unclean. You know why? Because what comes out of a man's mouth comes from the heart. Matthew 12, 36 says that we will give an account for every careless word ever spoken. That's why when you come to Proverbs 10, 19, it says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. You know how we get ourselves in a lot of trouble? You ever had to say to somebody, just stop talking? Just stop talking, seriously. You're digging a bigger hole, just stop talking. Uh, Most of you wives have probably had to say that to your husbands. Just stop talking. You know, I've been memorizing. uh, Last Sunday, I was uh, outside on the the back patio studying and reading the word and came across Proverb 2620. And listen, I've been memorizing this all week and meditating on this all week. And, and I actually, just in God's grace, had a chance. There were some things going on with, with Bradley and Sarah Grace Sunday night, and I had a chance to pull Bradley aside, and we opened back up to Proverbs 26.20 and had a chance to talk about this. And, but listen to what Proverbs 26.20 says. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Think about that. You stop putting wood on a fire, guess what happens to the fire eventually? Goes out. You know what the, you know what the writer here is saying? You know what your words are doing? When there's, a, when there's an issue, when there's a hurt, when there's an offense, the more you talk about it, every time you talk about it, every time you keep bringing it up, every time you go back to it, you know what you're doing? You're putting another log on the fire. And it's never going to go out. And whispering about it and gossiping about it and talking about it, listen to me, it's never going to go out. It's not going to be forgiven. It's not going to be dealt with because you keep bringing it up. Deal with it, forgive them, and quit quit putting logs on the fire. And this is, forgive me, this is very personal right now. The number one thing Satan wants to attack us with is disunity. And the number one way he's going to do that is from disunity within the church. And the number one way he's going to do that is through our tongues. Tongues. 
Quit talking about each other's sin. Quit gossiping. Listen, the fire will go out. It'll go out. But it won't go out if we keep putting logs on the fire. It's interesting in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Six things the Lord hates, yet seven are abomination. You know what three of those are? Three of those deal with the tongue. Three of the seven things that, the Lord, that are abomination. Yes, seven which are abomination to him. Go forward. I don't have this memorized. Forgive me. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, that's hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife, one who spreads strife among brothers. Three of the seven things that are an abomination of the Lord. You know where they're rooted? Tongue. Eight, Proverb 18.21, words have the power of life and death. Ephesians 4.29, again, we said it. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that is good for the need of the moment, according to the edification. Is it edifying? Here's the rule. Is what I'm about to say edifying? You can say it. If it's not edifying, forgive me, shut up. I mean, again, I, I don't mean to offend, but it's that serious. Stop talking. Satan wants to destroy the body of Christ. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy it. He prowls around five, chapter 5, verse 7 of 1 Peter like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And listen, listen he does that primarily from within the church. Listen, are we going Luke 17 says, do not be surprised when you get offended. Don't be surprised when you get hurt. It's that way in our own homes. Look, I love my wife, but guess what? We hurt each other sometimes. I love my kids, but I still have to apologize to them sometimes. Don't be surprised. He goes on in verse 3 to says, if your brother sins against you seven times and comes back to you and says, forgive me seven times, you know what it says? Forgive him seven times. And the next day, if they sin against you seven times and they, want, they come to you and repent seven times, forgive them seven times. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. God is opposed to evil. And specifically, one of the main ways that occurs is words. Why? Because it's, it's not in line with God's character. You go to Ephesians chapter 5. He says, coarse jesting, silly talk must not even be named among you. Why? Because it's not proper for saints. It's not in accordance to your character. He says, but immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. There must be no filthiness, no silly talk, no coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Words. Character. He's saying, listen, this ought to be an alternate society. What we have here amongst believers ought to be an alternate society. It ought to be a refuge. It ought to be a safe haven from all the junk that we deal with in the world. And when we mess up and when we offend each other and when we hurt each other, here's the command. Forgive one another, deal with it, and keep walking along as brothers and sisters. And listen, when it's dealt with, 
but just a good rule. If you weren't the one sinned against and you weren't the one sinned, stop talking about it. And if you were the one that was sinned against and you were the one that did the sinning, go ask forgiveness and stop talking about it. Deal with it. Forgiveness is hard. It's hard work. Trust me, I'm not minimizing that. But it's, it's incumbent. For the, whatever I'm trying to say, for the sustaining of the community. This is about the good of the community. That's what's most important. The good of the community. The good of the body. And, and again, because of God's grace, you see it there, that we have as believers received, Peter calls believers to live in a way that evidences who we are in Christ. And he hates evil. He says his eyes are too pure to even look upon evil. Again, Ephesians 5, these things, immorality, greed, all these impurities, they shouldn't even be named among us. Our lives should be so different that it's foolish to even name these things. That's how set apart we are. And, and our suffering, listen, it does not exempt us. Our calling doesn't exempt us from suffering. It does exempt us from the need to defend ourselves. It does exempt us from the need to hold grudges and offenses and, and the exemption to, from the need to get back and get even. Why? Because one day God's going to do that. He's going to deal with everyone. And believers, you'll see it on your handout as I close, they refuse to let their enemies define them. But rather... Seek their definition in Christ. Do these characteristics mark us out as a people? Do, do they mark you out individually as a follower of Christ? Listen, in spite of our sin, if you're here and you're a non-believer, here's my Romans 5.12 says, Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Listen, there is no sin that you've ever committed or will ever commit that God will not, cannot, that the blood of Jesus Christ is not sufficient enough to not forgive and to cleanse you. If we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will separate your sins as far as the east is from the rest, Psalm 103, 12 says, if we will confess Him as Lord. If that's you today, come forward, let's talk. If you're a believer here today, and maybe, maybe, you, maybe your, your need to be harmonious and, and, and your first step might be baptism. Maybe you're a believer and you've never followed through with an obedient believer's baptism. Maybe that's how you, maybe get unity could be gained there. If there's somebody in here that you're holding a grudge against, an offense against, that you don't believe it's dealt with, deal with it. Never mind what Matthew 5 says. If any of you comes to worship and you realize you have something against your brother, you know what it says? Leave your offering at the altar. Go be reconciled to your brother and then come back and worship. The lie of Satan is that we can sit in here and hold grudges against each other and think that we worship God. That's a lie. That's a lie. It, it, God is opposed to that. We ought to be a body that is tight. We ought to be a body that's so enamored with the grace of God, first and foremost in our own lives, that we can't help but forgive and offer that grace to other people's lives. 